Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Also, a lot of you know that, you know, we did take a stand last year, and a lot of people just would want to say to me, Jim, why don't you just stay in your lane? Well, I was staying in my lane, and then local government jumped in my lane, and then it just became a whole other story. And so, um, you know, with that being said, uh, for my whole life, we have prayed for people in church that are believers in the Lord and share our values and followers of Jesus Christ. And we'll pray for them for serving in different countries around the world. But the church has never shown a strong willingness to stand with men and women who are sharing our values and praying with them and doing it publicly and doing it unabashedly. And I believe that we should stand with people who are serving in Washington, D.C. and in Denver and to be praying for them. And we have a special guest here today, and it's Perry Will. And I want to invite Perry Will to come on up here today. Why don't you come on up here, Perry? A lot of you, I think, know him already. And he has been serving in Denver. And he, lo- he, he loves the Lord. His desire is not to be a partisan but actually just to stand up for the values that he has that believed in his entire life. And um, Perry, you've been serving in Denver now for? Four years. Four years, yeah. right? And you represent District 57. 57. And some things changed in 57, not the year in the district, in right? The district boundaries, yes. Yeah, and so now suddenly he finds himself um, representing um, Pitkin County that's included in that district as, lo- as well as Eagle County, our little strip right here, and, um, uh, and Garfield County as well. Yeah, and last time you ran, you won by what percent? 87 and a half. 87 and a half percent. So, um, but for political reasons, his district was redrawn. Um, he's serving in Denver. But um, you're really, you, you, are be- you, you, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, aren't Absolutely. you? You believe in the Lord and, and the word of God. And you believe that you're stepping out to do what the Lord has called you to do. Absolutely. And so in speaking with him before service this morning, just realizing that he's willing to say, Lord God, I'm willing to accept whatever your purpose and will is. But I want to, are you willing to stand with me in prayer for a brother in Christ who is willing to serve and to represent these things? So let's just pause for just a moment and um, let's just pray for, for Perry. I, I told him I keep wanting to call him Will Perry, but that's the TV actor. This is Perry Will. So I've been called worse. You've been called worse. I'm sure. I'm not sure. But anyway, good. Father, I just, I, I thank you, Lord God, for people who believe in you and believe in our country and, and Lord God, believe in the values that made this nation great. And I thank you, Lord God, for his desire to visit our church today, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would come and that you would strengthen this man, Lord, to fulfill the purpose and the calling and the destiny that you have for him. We stand together with him, Lord, as a brother in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that the favor of the Lord would fall upon him. And Father God, as things have shifted and changed and turned, Lord God, we just believe, Lord, that our lives and our calling and our future is in your hands. And so, Father God, I pray today for for Perry Will, and I ask God that you would um, lift him up, strengthen him by your spirit, encourage him, Father, give a spirit of wisdom to him. And Father God, we are declaring that his future purpose and calling and destiny in Denver is in your hands. And Father, we leave it to you. So Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would help him, Lord God, to not make any mistakes, to walk forward, Lord, in your wisdom, that you would open up doors in favor and opportunity. I pray, Lord, you continue to use him to walk in humility before you. I thank you, Lord God, that he loves this state. He loves our mountains and our wildlife and all of our resources, our our water, Lord God, and all the blessings that are in this state. And I pray, Father God, let him, let him see the fulfillment of the desires of his heart and let him be faithful to you, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Amen. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. One thing's for sure, he looks Coloradan, wouldn't you say that, right? 
That's for sure. And, and thank you for honoring us by being here today as well. He was here in first service, and I asked him to come and be able to let us pray for him in the second service. What we've been looking at for the last several weeks is about what it means to be a brand new believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. I've been telling you for quite a while that I'm saving the best for last. The reason why I want us to talk about, well, the thing that I want us to talk about today is actually the power and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we're looking at some scripture verses today, I want you to know that I'm not here to hype you up about the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to get you all um, emotionally stirred about the Holy Spirit because I don't need to do that. The Holy Spirit can speak for himself. He can ask, act for himself. He can empower for himself. And as we're thinking about the Holy Spirit today, we're looking at the understanding that without the Lord, we can do nothing. But through the power of God, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I want to talk today about this one, the Holy Spirit, who is the dynamite of God. And I'm not being facetious with that. Jesus said, you will receive power. The word is dunamis, dynamite, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So I want us to be just looking at that and reflecting on that today. I want you to know something that I don't speak of this subject lightly. You might say to me, Pastor Jim, this can be such a controversial figure. And I know that I've kept this church out of controversy for the last couple of years. But that being said, I just want, to, I want us to look at the scripture verses about the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit. And for me personally, even, it came out of when I was 13 years old. My brother came back from college. And he went to Laterno College in Texas, and he had encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said to a bunch of youth that were sitting in a room, he just said, hey, there's this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we can have it, and do you want it? And we were young enough to say, yes, that sounds good. And so he prayed for us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fell upon us in that room in the power of God and it transformed us from being regular teenage kids to being ones that spent the rest of our high school years on the street sharing Jesus Christ. When I went to college, um, you know, I went to a college that was approved of by my church and so my options were limited and it happened to be a college that didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and taught against it and taught against the spiritual gifts. So I went to that school and, you know, uh, and, and being immersed four years in that environment, you know, it had an effect and it began to temper or even to cause me to question about the validity of what had happened. And that's why I don't want to just build this upon experiential knowledge, but upon the word of God, because the place where you need to land in is the word of God and the truth of the word of God. While I was there, you know, it was recognized that I was going out. And we, our school was on a causeway, and it had a long beach on the side of it. Many people from the community went there. Every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon, I didn't have classes. I was out there sharing Jesus Christ with everybody that I could. And I would drag along any reluctant friend who was willing to go out and be there, uh, a part of that with me. And then, um, you know, started a... a uh, an annual evangelistic outreach to, to youth in high schools. And that was going on for years after that I had, I, had, I, I had left. So much to the point where the president of the college wrote a letter to my dad when I graduated, just um, commending the change that he felt that I had brought to the school. Little did they realize that the change that I was able to bring to the school, I delivered by something they opposed. <laughs> the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then um, I was invited back later, a man waiting to make a large donation to the college. And he, I ended up getting invited to be a part of two people who would meet with the president to find out their positions. And I already knew. And in that conversation, he, he, he began to talk to me about where I was at spiritually. And I, I told him that I you know, was going to a church and that they were reinforcing the understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he just shook his head and he says, I don't understand it. This is happening to some of our best men. And so I was never invited back again to speak at that school. The only graduate that lived locally that wasn't allowed to come back. And so that was, that was just interesting to me. I want you to know that what I share today, I understand is very controversial. By the way, um, 
The church that I grew up in was with my father's church, and it caused a parting of the ways, this very issue. And, but then he, years later, moved to Florida and became my biggest fan. And he said to me before he passed away, if I had it to do all over again, I would speak more about the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to speak about him today. I believe actually the person of the Holy Spirit is that which in, in a way it set me apart in my school. But in some ways I believe is part of the uniqueness of the stand that I was able to take in the last two years. As just not talking about, I'm, 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 I'm not talking about that Churches that didn't take that stand were not led by the Holy Spirit. But what I am saying, the ability to sustain, to move on, in spite of the fact that there were, you know, um, the threats of arrest and, and all that kind of thing, and to watch our school of 100 students to go down to, you know, well, this year we started with 39, um, to watch that happen. And you ask yourself, you know, what do you believe is the source of your strength? I know without a doubt that the source of my strength was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know without a doubt the strength of my prayer life was praying in tongues, evidence of the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the thing, I don't, I don't make public display of it. I'm not ashamed of it. If you were near me in worship, you would hear me praying in tongues. You might hear me in a prayer meeting praying in tongues, but it's not for public show. It's about my communion with God. And that's why I want to talk with all of you about this, because I believe that we are entering into a day globally where only a church filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of God, and understanding the power of Spirit-led praying is the church that's going to make a difference in the world. It's the church that is going to sustain. It's the church that is going to survive. It is the church that is going to bring transformation. And so I want us just to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Again, as I said, and you're going to say to me, Jim, it feels like you're running through this sermon. Well, you should have been in first service. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we're going to start there. And I want you to follow with me in the word of God. Because I want to lay a biblical foundation for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3, and please excuse my voice. I, I am feeling much better. Praise but um, the thing is, is that you can hear a little of the residue left in my voice. Um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit of fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Father, I pray that you would honor your word today in Jesus' name. John the Baptist is just saying there's a time coming when God's going to just jerk the slack out of the world. He's going to burn up the chaff and he's going to bring the wheat into his barn. He's talking about bringing the fullness of God's kingdom into full fruition. And as he's looking at this, you know, I can't help but wonder... What would John say would be the defining piece of Jesus' ministry? John is saying, I baptize in water. A lot of people would say, well, water baptism is the defining part of our Christian experience. John the Baptist could have said, well, here's the one who's coming, the Lamb of God, that's going to lead us and tell us all how to get to heaven. Well, that sounds good. Or here's the one who's going to establish the church and we can all begin to go to church. And someone might say, well, that sounds like a good thing. All those things are good, but you know what? He chose one thing. Jesus' ministry was going to be described by this. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That is the crux of Jesus' ministry. The release of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire in people. Now, the word there, if you notice, is the word that's used is baptism. Baptizo is the Greek word that we find out there. And baptizo actually means to drown, to completely immerse and to plunge. Now, John the Baptist said the one who's coming after me is going to drown you in the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about, hey, when, when the Messiah comes, you're going to be able to dip your toe in the water of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, actually, you are going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. He's going to overwhelm you. He's going to wash over your entire being. That there is a means by which your entire self 
is going to be immersed in this one that's called the Holy Spirit, an immersion. It doesn't diminish our water baptism, and yet something about this baptism that was so great that John the Baptist decided that he would describe it as something that takes preeminence over his water baptism. And he's saying it's going to be a baptism that will be a fire baptism. It's going to be a baptism that's going to burn inside the very core of who you are. You will have a burning inside of you. You will not be like the people of this world that get excited about something one moment and then the next moment that they begin to wane on it. Nor are we even invited to that level of Christianity where we go through seasons where we're passionate about the Lord and then other seasons where we drift. No, the Bible says you are going to be immersed. You're going to be plunged into the very fire of God. And this fire is going to burn inside of your heart and it's going to be the means by which you stay consistent. It's going to be the means by which you stay steadfast. It's going to be the means by which you are going to warm the world that is around you. This Holy Spirit one that is to come. And this Holy Spirit, actually, we find out as I walk you through the New Testament, fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he in behalf of whom I said, After me is coming a man who has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. And I did not recognize him. But so that he would be revealed to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, we find out that at Jesus' baptism, the affirmation that he will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to understand this, that Jesus' ministry did not begin until he received the Holy Spirit who came to rest upon him and to remain upon him. So Jesus at his baptism is immersed. The Spirit comes, not, 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 not a dove, but like a dove. And he comes and it says that he remained upon Jesus. Now, why is that so important for us to understand the word remain? Because we understand that King David said, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. King David, this great anointed man, actually asked the Father, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. So David had that as a concern, but the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, came to demonstrate the Spirit of God is going to fall upon men and women. He will remain upon them once and for all. And that their prayer is not going to be, oh God, don't take your Spirit from me. But no, they're going to rest and abide in the understanding. The Spirit of God is coming to me to remain and by the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus could promise to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus' ministry, when the Holy Spirit fell upon him, began at that point. Jesus didn't preach before the Holy Spirit came on him. Jesus didn't work a miracle. He didn't open up a blind eye. He didn't help a lame person walk. We have a glimpse of him at 12 years old who was talking to the leaders in the temple and they were impressed with him. But his ministry did not begin. His words did not, were not given to him. His actions and deeds were not given to him until the Holy Spirit fell upon him. A lot of people, a lot of Christians think that Jesus did what he did and said what he said out of the power and virtue of his deity. He did it because he was God. And we'll say to, us, to ourselves, oh, Jesus did what he did because he was God. And that only makes sense. Jesus calmed the storm because he was God. Jesus opened up blind eyes because he was God. But I want you to understand, Jesus Jesus, what he did, what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that good news for you and me? Jesus said the same works that I did, you will do also. How could he say that? I'm not God. He is God. Well, he could say that to us because he did it by the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit upon his life. And we have that same spirit who indwells us. He has come to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That's what is said. 
So Jesus went forward. This spirit of God coming upon him became his anointing. What do I mean by that? Well, when in the Old Testament, when a prophet received the word of the Lord, that man right there is to be the king. The prophet would be then be commanded by the Lord, I want you to take oil and I want you to anoint him. And when the prophet would anoint the king, then the king could understand that I have received from God the power, the virtue, the calling, the acceptance, the equipping, the necessary wisdom for me to be the king because I was anointed by the man of God. When the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus, it was like the oil that the prophet used to put on a king. It marked the anointing marked Jesus. It equipped Jesus. It gave him the wisdom. It gave him the words. It launched his ministry. It released power in him. And that he could then know that I'm walking forward in the favor of God. How do I know that this was the anointing? In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. So the Spirit of God fell upon him. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he was hungry. Now jump down to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed on him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now listen to this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What did Jesus do? Holy Spirit, fell upon him at his baptism. He left the Jordan area, the Jordan River. He finds himself in the Galilee. Where does he go? He goes to his hometown, to the hometown of Nazareth. What is Nazareth a great picture of? Well, just go home to the home of your childhood. It will remind you of every insecurity and disqualification that you might have. Not that Jesus felt those things, but when you go back to your hometown, you're reminded just how human you are and how you started out. But Jesus goes back to his hometown, and what does he do? He, be, he goes to the synagogue, and he just tells them a story. What did he tell them the story of? He told them the story of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that came upon him. The Spirit of God fell upon him. How did he tell that story? Well, he goes into the synagogue, and there he is in front of all the other kids that he had played soccer with who were thinking that he's just a regular guy like the rest of them, right? They're thinking he's regular, but he's here to tell them. I'm not regular anymore. Something has happened to me. They hand him the book of the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he finds the place where it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. What was he doing? He's just telling his testimony. Guys, let me tell you what happened to me since the last time you saw me. You wouldn't believe it. The Holy Spirit came upon me and he anointed me to preach the gospel to the needy. He's telling him, you know what happened? Spirit of God came upon me and he gave me a message and he gave me a sermon and I'm gonna let you hear about it. That's what the Lord has for you, wherever he's called you to serve whether he's called you to serve in a bank or in a restaurant or, you know, serve in politics or whatever he's done, the Lord's got words for you to speak and he's given you a message. And, and Jesus is just saying, hey, Spirit of God came on, he gave me a message. And, and he told me to preach the gospel to the needy. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the needy. To heal broken hearts. 
proclaim liberty to captives. This anointing came upon me, and you ain't seen nothing yet after this sermon. You watch, because the anointing came on me to set captives free. I'm going to be casting demons out of people. You're not going to believe it. How did that happen? Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he anointed me. And then he says, and it's going to get even better than that, because he anointed me to open up blind eyes. To open up blind eyes. I'm telling you, I'm going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Lord is saying here. And so then he just begins to let, begins to let them know that there's something powerful that has come upon us. And God has it for us today. It's come to equip us. It's come to explain God's word to us. It's come to give us our message. It's come to give us strength. The Bible even has taught us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can quicken your body. It can make your body, your physical body, stronger, actually. And then Jesus promised his disciples that he's going to give them the very same Holy Spirit. He took it to the next level. In John 14, 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word helper there means an advocate. It means an intercessor. The Lord doesn't give us this faith in order to, for us to walk alone. And he says, and when he comes to you, he will be with you forever. In other words, once I give you the spirit, I'm not taking him away. The helper, Jesus said, is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The Lord is saying, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you, want to, you need to know this, that no one else in the world can receive this Holy Spirit because they haven't seen him and they don't know him. And then you say to yourself, but how do I know that I've seen him and I know him? Well, you know, you know you've seen him and you know that you know him because you gave your heart to Jesus Christ. You couldn't have done that without the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to open up your eyes. The Holy Spirit had to open up your ears. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. The reason you got saved, you say, oh yeah, because I came to Jesus. Like he showed up at his porch one day and rang his doorbell and said, here I am. That's not how it is. Jesus loved the riches of heaven, and the Holy Spirit came to you. You weren't seeking him out. He sought you out. That you know that you can receive the Holy Spirit because you have seen him and you have heard him. You couldn't have come to Jesus. You couldn't have heard the gospel unless you had the Holy Spirit come to you. You couldn't have been saved without the Holy Spirit. And when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you gave your heart to the Holy Spirit and he came to indwell inside you. And he's come to remain in you. And Jesus said this, I'll not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, they'll know, no, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live, you will also live. He says, I'm, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Well, that reminds us of Romans chapter 8. The Bible says if you've met Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received the spirit of adoption. You're not an orphan anymore. The Holy Spirit comes and he reminds you continually, no matter how dark it can get, you know, and no matter how much your faith might question, you don't have an orphan spirit because that spirit rises up in you and lets you know, hey, yeah, you got a long ways to go, but you gave your heart to Jesus and you're okay. He says to us, Jesus said to us, I'm going to give you the, the helper. That word there is parakleton. Parakleton. It comes from the word from paraclete. If you want to remember, it's not parakeet. It sounds like that. It's paraclete, though. That'll help you to remember. Para means alongside, like parallel. Kaleo is what the word cleat. It means that I'm going to give you someone who's going to walk parallel with you, and he's called to be by your side. He's been called by God to be by your side. Uh, every new believer here in the room needs to understand that we, you, I, I don't care how long you've known the Lord, no matter how long you live, you need the Holy Spirit forever. And he's called to walk alongside of you. John 16, 5, Jesus said, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, grief has filled your heart. But I tell you your truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is letting us know right here. Though we're tempted to say, I wish I could have lived in the day that Jesus walked the earth. But Jesus actually told his disciples that wasn't the best day. I'm telling you, it's a much better day for us to walk 
right now in this day with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and empowering us than it was to actually be able to walk with Jesus on the earth. You know why? Because Jesus walked next to, but he didn't walk within. And the Holy Spirit, yes, he's called to, he's called to be alongside of us, but where is he alongside of us? He's alongside of our heart. He's alongside of our spirit. He's alongside of the inner man. He actually indwells inside of us. Jesus could teach his disciples, but he could not empower them to do it. Only the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit is the power. Uh, listen, believer, today, I, my heart is just getting stirred for us to understand that we might be called to walk in difficult times. We're hearing stories about food challenges and economic challenges and all these things happening. But I'm telling you, there's no safer place to be. There's no better place to be. There's no powerful place to be than to walk even in difficult times, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a great privilege and opportunity today. And now more than ever, we need spirit-filled believers and spirit-filled churches. So Jesus says this a little bit further. You knew I was going to get to the book of Acts if I was talking about the Holy Spirit. And here's what Jesus said after he rose from the dead in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. We find out that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days, and then he goes for 10 days, but for something very powerful happened. What was happening during those 10 days? Well, we find out according to the scriptures that he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask the Father. I'm going to ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but Jesus was asking the Father to give to his disciples, his followers, what he had received at his baptism. And we find out that Jesus, before he died, prayed to the Father and said, Father, the glory which you have given to me, I have given to them. And so it was always Jesus' desire that the, everything that he received the Father, that he would give it to us. So he knew the crux of his ministry and the power of his ministry was rooted in the Holy Spirit falling upon him. So when he gets to heaven, what's the first thing he's going to ask the Father for? Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to those that I've left behind? God, would you give to them what you gave to me? See, this is the anointing of the Lord that God has for all of us. And then it goes into this whole teaching about, you know, it, it's not for you to know, to know the times or seasons. God's not going to explain everything to us, but he is going to give us the Holy Spirit that we can face any kind of season. They're asking the Lord, are you going to give the nation back to the, to the Jews and take it out of the Roman hands? Jesus said, it's not for you to know. Well, what if he had actually told them, no, as a matter of fact, you know, that you all are about to be persecuted and many of you are going to lose your lives. But he just says, you know, I'm not here to tell you each individually what's going to happen for you. That can happen through the prophetic gift. But he just says, that's not for you to worry about. The only thing that you should be worried about is, are we filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can face whatever day or challenge that we're facing right now? That's the question, man, and that's the real issue. And he says, I'm going to give you power. That word there, I, I told you already, is the word dunamis. If you look it up in Strong's Concordance, the original Greek, it means not just like power that comes from a power plant, but specifically miraculous power. Power to work the supernatural. Power to tap into the power of God. And let me give you a word that might even throw you a bigger curve after, the, after Star Wars, but actually the word means force. The Lord is just saying, 
I can give you the force. I'll let the force be with you. It'll be the force that created the heavens and the earth, man. Not some, you know, phony, baloney, pantheistic force, but it'll be the force of the power of God. And so the Spirit of God fell upon them on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50, because that was a Jewish holiday. It was 50 days after Passover. Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He died like the lamb. And the Passover lamb. And then 50 days later, they would celebrate a harvest coming in. And so the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Jesus said, you'll become my witnesses. They did become witnesses. And that was the first harvest of the church. So let's just read in Acts chapter 2 what happened. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a voice like a violent, a noise, I'm sorry, like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves. And the tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own tongue. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking um, Galileans, and how is it that we each hear them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, from Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, from Rome, from all over the earth, Libya, parts of Africa, there were Cretans and Arabs. They heard their, the gospel being spe- spoken in their whole t- own tongue because the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. And he gave them languages that weren't there and they were able to go out and they were able to s- explain who Jesus is very clearly in the tongue of the people that were visiting Jerusalem. And it says, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were jeering and saying, they are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking a stand with the other eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem know this, and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you assume, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will have dreams and even on my male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So the Holy Spirit fell upon them, fell upon them powerfully and was fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament. Hundreds of years, the prophet Joel had told them the spirit of God is gonna fall and it's going to fall upon a group of individuals. It's going to fall upon all flesh. In other words, it's not just going to be Jews. It's going to be Jews and Gentiles. It's going to be men and women. It's going to be rich and poor. The Holy Spirit's going to be available to everybody. And he says, this, what you're seeing right now that's happening in this upper room and this noise that you're hearing, I'm telling you, this has come by the fulfillment of the prophecy that the Holy Spirit has come. And the Lord is letting us know that the, the way the Holy Spirit is going to work in the last days, none of this stuff about women not, not being allowed to speak, because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come upon our sons and our daughters and they will prophesy. It means that God's going to use men, women, young, old, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you something today. I, you, you're going to fall into one of those categories, whether you like it or not. You're either male or female or rich or poor or you're young or you're old or maybe all of the one of the above. But the truth of the matter is this is that the Bible says you are fully equipped for every good work by the power of the Holy Spirit that will come upon you. And this is a fulfillment of what God's intention was for humanity. This is the fulfillment of God walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God wants to walk with you. He wants to live in you. He wants to work through you. He wants to speak through you. So Peter and John, we find out a little bit later that they ended up being rested. So they faced some hard times after the baptism of the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the church. And the Lord says to them, speak the word of the Lord with all that. No, I'm sorry. They're praying and they ask, Lord, show us how to speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, listen to this, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Some people try 
to say, oh, that thing that happened at Pentecost in the upper room, that was a one-time event at the birthing of the church. But you know what? Two chapters later, man, after they faced some persecution, they prayed before the Lord and the Holy Spirit shook the very house that they were in and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit once again. And then you say, okay, maybe the Holy Spirit can fall more than once. But that thing about speaking in, in tongues, that was only used to reach people with the gospel. And so that, you know, tongues is only for preaching the gospel and only should be used when, when you're around people who don't speak your language. But in Acts chapter 10, verse 24, it talks about a man whose name was Cornelius and he was a Roman. And he wanted to know more about God and he was praying to the Lord and the Lord heard his prayer and the Lord God answered him and he spoke to Peter and said, Peter, I, I, I want you to go and visit this, this Gentile. And that was way out of Peter's comfort zone being raised in, in Jewish tradition. But he was called of the Lord and anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit and God was gonna show him a lesson. He's gonna teach him something. When I said that I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh, I meant it. I meant Romans too. I meant your enemies too. And so the Apostle Paul goes and he finds himself standing before Cornelius and he's speaking to him. And Cornelius tells him how the Lord had invited him to invite Peter to come to his house. So Peter begins to share with them about God. That's all they wanted to do. They wanted to know about God. And while Peter was still speaking words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter responded, surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Yes. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for several days. So we find out that the Holy Spirit fell on a room full of Gentiles. It wasn't about evangelism. It was about a sign. It was about the Holy Spirit wanting to take control and mastery of individuals who are willing to give him that. So then in Acts chapter 19, we find out that something happens again. You might say to me, Jim, why are you referring to so many scriptures? Because I need you to understand that within my own home and in my father's church, I was uninvited serving there as a pastor because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's very important to me that for you to understand that this is about the word of God and the promises of God. And God blessed my father because he came. He was raised in a different day and came to the fullness. But in Acts chapter 19, it says that now it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. And he found some disciples. Who did Paul find? Some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, on the contrary, we have not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, and to what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly about these matters. The Holy Spirit fell upon these believers, and you know why they hadn't received it? Because they didn't even know it was available. My, my brother came to us and said, hey, there's this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you want it? And we were just young enough to say yes. So why, I know I've run through all that. I know that the idea of tongues makes a lot of Christians really uncomfortable. You say, my family already thought I was crazy when I became a Christian. Now you're taking the whole thing to another level. Amen. Amen. And I've been around long enough to watch in popular culture those ridicule pe people, those tongue talkers, make them out to be some kind of freaks of nature. Mm, they're not freaks of nature. They're just peculiar people for God. Amen. Amen. Why would the Lord have us speak in tongues when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. James chapter 3, verse 2. Can you bear with me while I read this? James chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Can you say amen to that? Amen. 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to reign in the whole body as well. If you learn to never make a misstep in the words that come out of your mouth, the Bible says, well, you're perfect. <laughs> Verse three, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their whole body as well. Look at ships too, they, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are nevertheless directed by a very small rudder where, wherever the inclination of the pilot determines. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Wow. The Bible says this. Whoever controls the tongue is the pilot. Right? So if a pilot is going to control something, He's got to get hold like a, the rudder of a ship. The rudder of our life is our tongue. If he's going to get hold of a believer, he's got to get hold of his tongue. First and foremost. The Bible says here in all of this thing that the tongue in its natural state is a lit with the flames of hell. Now, wait a minute. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with fire. The whole thing is this. Everybody's tongue is lighting a fire, whether they like it or not. It's either lit with the flames of hell, the flames of this earth, or... It is lit with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. So the first thing that happens, that needs to happen, though, if you're going to control something, you have to take control of the rudder. If you're going to control someone's body, you have to take over their tongue. If the Holy Spirit is going to be given complete access to the body, remember, the Holy Spirit is described as a baptism. It's a complete submersion. Your body is completely underneath the water. It's a complete yieldedness. That's what the Holy Spirit is going for. In order for him to be able to gain control of your body, he has to gain control of your tongue. Now, what is the means by which we control our tongue? Our mind determines, sends signals, what's it, what it's going to say. And how does it do that? What does it say? It says words that are in our language. Using our language is the means by which we control what comes out of our mouth. We chose which words we're going to say. We formed them with our tongue and we spoke them. When we use our own language, we control what our tongue is saying. But the Bible is saying this, the Holy Spirit wants control. Well, how would the Holy Spirit take control of the rudder of your body? The only way that he can do it is by taking it out of the realm of your control and giving it over to the realm of the Spirit's control. Therefore, the Bible just says when a man speaks in tongues, he speaks, but the Spirit gives him the words. And that's what sets it apart. It's yielding your tongue. It's stepping out in faith before the Lord and allowing him to give you the words for God to pray through you. Verse 7, for every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God, Lord and Father, and with it we curse people and have been made in the likeness of who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. The Bible just says this, there's never been a man who has tamed his tongue. But the Bible has also helped us to understand that the Holy Spirit can tame, the, can tame our tongues. So, for you all to know, I'm getting down to the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is often used for people to just say, well, the Apostle Paul you know, there's conversations about it being the least of all gifts, tongues and whatever. And I would just challenge you to think that if you're not walking in the least of all gifts, why do you think that you're walking in the greatest of the gifts? But that's one point. But another thing that I just want to be able to emphasize today is that when it comes to us speaking in tongues, that when I speak in tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it helps me to understand this. It's not about public display. It's, it's not what if I if I get up here and I just did the whole sermon in tongues you you would be like wow not that you're not already like wow but you would be like wow but the thing is this is that the thing is the Bible says the Apostle Paul says you don't even know when to say amen they were doing the whole church service in tongues 
And, and so the, he's not disqualifying tongues, but he's dis, disqualifying the abuse of it. But he said this, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. And I stand before you today to just say, I thank God that I, I, I use my prayer language a lot. I do. Nevertheless, in church, I prefer to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words with a tongue. It's not disqualifying tongues. He's just saying, when you do church, do church. When you're talking to each other, talk to each other. But there is a place of communion with God and of yieldedness of the Holy Spirit that if you learn how to yield your most unruly member to the Lord, then the rest of the members of your body become easier. He says in chapter 14, verse two, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but he speaks to God. It's not for, it's not for public consumption, but it's, it's communion. It's fellowship and, it, and it's deep intimacy. And it's really trust as well. So he says in verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. You might say to yourself, what's the use of praying in tongues? Just pray in your language. And it's, no, he says, when I might pray in tongues, my spirit, see, it gets the engine going. My spirit is the real me. My real me can pray. And God says, I want you to learn how to let that pray according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God. He only does the will of God. If I pray in tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. So you might say, well, what's the sense of it? Because when I stir up my spirit, you know, let me just explain it this way. I'm going to a prayer meeting and sometimes I just don't feel like it. I feel lousy and I'm grumpy and I wanna hold on to my unforgiveness towards someone for a little while longer. And so I'm going to the prayer meeting and I'm thinking, I really don't wanna be here right now. And then what do I do? I just begin to pray in tongues. Why? Because my flesh is like, I don't feel like going. And yet my, my, my spirit knows this is where you need to be. And so what do I do? I just begin to pray in tongues. What do I do? I strengthen my inner man to override my outer man. And you'll find that yourself that when you speak in tongues, it just begins to get your spirit going. Because the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So when you begin to speak in tongues, it's saying that you are building yourself up. During that whole season where, you know, our church was being challenged and, and to watch the, the, the stretching of, of everything, um, I'm, I'm just telling you, one of the keys to keep the fire burning and to not waver, my prayers waver. When I pray in my own language, I'm up and down. But when I pray in the spirit, I'm counting on the fire that does not waver. And just praying in the spirit is so important. You might say to me, Jim, you know, you lost half a school because of a decision that you made. What are you gonna do with the church now talking about tongues and all that kind of thing? I know it. You know, I'll tell you, this is how I feel. 120 people in the upper room after they have been tried and everybody had to decide, are we willing to follow Jesus or not? And they had the reins of their community had been tested. And it had, the prideful had to leave, you know, the, the people that couldn't endure the stress, they had to go. And yet 120 people in an upper room when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they completely and radically changed the world. Even though talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, I'm not apologizing for it, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying this, it is not something I am willing to lay down. It is a non-negotiable for me. And I believe that in the day in which we live, it is now more necessary than ever. So when we pray, the Bible says, pray with the understanding, that's in your own language, and pray in the spirit, that's praying in tongues. It says when you sing, sing in your own language, sing with the understanding, and also sing in the spirit. That's singing in tongues. The Lord is just saying, let's just, let's just be a church that learns to be completely and absolutely 100% totally dedicated to God that in this day, we will live according to the power that Christ lived according to. Amen. Let's all stand up this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I just want to invite anybody that might be here today. Listen, you can invite Jesus Christ to come and live in your heart. 
He will come and live in you by the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm not saying anybody to anybody today that, oh, if you haven't received this, what we talked about, that you're not saved. The only reason, the only way that you need to be saved is to invite Jesus to come into your heart and the Holy Spirit of Jesus will come and live inside of you and he will save you. Maybe there's someone here today and you say to me, Jim, I, I've never met Jesus as my savior. In this moment, I'm not asking you, of course, to become a part of our church because membership won't change you. I'm not asking you if you were raised a Christian. I'm not asking you whether you've been good or whether you've been bad. All those are irrelevant now. I'm asking you if you've been born again and received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you don't know without a doubt that Jesus lives in your heart, I'm gonna ask you to respond in two ways. First off, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand just saying, I'm raising my hand to acknowledge in the closing prayer, I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And if you raise your hand, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and stand here in the front. You say, wait a minute, in front of people, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything or say anything, but the Lord said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So in this quiet moment, anybody here need Jesus? Would you just lift up your hand saying today, I wanna receive him as my Savior. I see your hand right back there, God bless you. Is there anybody else today? You're just saying today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure, I'm gonna make this thing sure today. I'm gonna know that I know. Let's pray this prayer together with this friend of ours to give that confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Repeat these words with him. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me so much. You sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. You know where I've been, everything I've done. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart, wash me clean, save me from this world, from myself, from death, and from the devil. Jesus Christ, you are my Lord and my Savior. As you live in me, I will live for you. Thank you for promising me a home in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on up here. Amen. God bless you. Man. Amen. You came today to make this a sure thing, right? Yeah. That you know that you know. Bill, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today? Yes, sir. As he lives in you, will you live for him? Yes, sir. Would you stretch your hands towards Bill today? Father, I thank you for this divine appointment today. I thank you, Lord God, that you're the, your Holy Spirit is the one who's faithful to tell us. The Word of God says, make sure your calling and election is a sure thing. And I know that Bill stands here today, Lord God, settling once and for all. Jesus Christ is his personal Lord and Savior. Lord, we heard this confession of faith. We stretch our hands towards him, Lord God, and we pray, Father, that you would come today and that, Lord, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, with your power, with your grace, with your anointing. Your favor would rest upon him, O oh Lord. Oh God, I just pray, Father, you would set him apart. Set him apart, Lord God, as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, as a man of God, as a husband, and as a father. I pray, O oh Lord God, establish him. Establish his home. Establish his steps. Establish him, Lord God, as the husband of Melissa, Father God, that together, Lord God, that they would walk forward in the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. I thank you for them, Lord. We receive Bill today into the family of God. And Father, we just thank you, O oh Lord, the Spirit has come to him to live with him forever. And we bless you for it, Lord. God, fill him with the joy of the kingdom. Fill him with the joy of the kingdom. And let the peace that passes all understanding keep his heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. We love you, Bill. God bless you.
I'm gonna dismiss you all, it's 11.32. I wanna just say this. If anyone wants just for um, Pam and I to lay hands on you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a fresh equipping and anointing of power that comes from God by the Spirit of God, we're just gonna stay around for a while and um, you're welcome to sit, you're welcome to leave. It's all the same. You're welcome to come on up for prayer. Thank you so much for being here today, and God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.